Welcome to On The Mic Podcast. This is your host, Tim Drake. On today's episode, I have comedy writer Caitlin Kunkel. I am so excited to finally have Caitlin on the podcast. Caitlin was one of my teachers at Second City uh, and somebody who really helped shape me as a writer. And, you know, I've been wanting to have Caitlin on the podcast for so long now. Uh, every time we were out in New York City, we tried to set something up with her, but our schedules just never matched up. Um, but we were finally able to get something squared away, uh, really to help promote and celebrate the new book that Caitlin helped write called New Erotica for Feminists. Uh, it's a satirical uh, book that's a collection of fantasies of love, lust, and equal pay. And it is absolutely hilarious. So I've, I've, about halfway through the book, I've absolutely loved it. Uh, my wife immediately read the book, and she's beyond raved about it. It is absolutely hilarious. Uh, it was written alongside three of Caitlin's fellow comedy editors over at the Belladonna Comedy, uh, which is a website that she put together with Brooke Preston, Fiona Taylor and Carrie Whitmer and it's just exploded so they've had a bunch of essays and satire pieces that ended up going viral and it's just been an incredible site for great satire and comedy I highly suggest that you check it out we'll have the link to their website up on our website on micpodcast.com so you can find everything Belladonna Comedy uh, as well as get linked up with Caitlin and find out everything that she's doing she still teaches at Second City and if you've ever wanted to take a class at Second City but you're not in Chicago Los Angeles or Toronto uh, they do offer online writing courses and that's how I got started that's how I met Caitlin and you know it really helped further me while I was living in Salt Lake City and I wasn't able to be in Chicago or LA and I was really bummed about it. I wanted to be a part of Second City and so I, I started writing and, and it opened up a lot of doors for me and again you know if it wasn't for a lot of the advice that Caitlin has given me over the years uh, I, I don't know that I would have had as many pieces published as I have. And so, again, I'm really excited to have her on here. I talked to her about some of her background as well, um, how she got started into comedy writing, as well as getting some advice for some of you that may want to start writing satire and wanting wanting to know you know what might be holding you up. Caitlin offers some great advice on that. Um, so make sure you listen all the way through here. And thanks to Caitlin and, the, and Belladonna Comedy and their publishers, they're letting us give away three copies of New Erotica for Feminists. So I'm really excited to be able to offer you guys this. So what I'm going to do, if you want to be one of those three people, I need you to comment on the link on Facebook or tweet to us at On The Mic Podcast. So jump on it, but what I need you to tweet to me is tweet to me the name of the university that Caitlin went to for grad school. So it's, it's somewhere in the episode. You're going to have to listen for it. So find the name of the university Caitlin went to grad school and tweet the name of that university to me. And the first three people to do so will win a copy of New Erotica for Feminists. Thank you to everybody that commented on last week's episode with Skylar Fisk. Hope you guys enjoyed her movie, Every Other Holidays, that premiered on Lifetime last week. Uh, I'm glad that so many of you guys liked that. Thank you to everybody, that, again, that commented, and welcome to the new listeners that have enjoyed the podcast since. I uh, hope you guys you know, are having a fantastic holiday season and continuing on with all of your Lifetime movies. Uh, Austin actually has one coming up that premieres this Sunday night, December 2nd at 7 p.m. It's called Shoelaces for Christmas. Uh, you heard Austin and I talk about this uh, while he was gone during June filming this. Uh, that's right, a lot of these Christmas movies are filmed in the middle of the summer in a hot place like Salt Lake City. Uh, but yeah, Austin went back to Utah and shot this uh, during the summer. And again, that's December 2nd at 7 p.m. on BYU TV. Uh, so make sure you check that out. So this is this is Austin's, I think, first Christmas movie that he's done. Uh, so you guys aren't going to want to miss that. So he had a pretty significant role uh, in this film. Uh, so make sure you check that out again. December 2nd, 7 p.m., BYU TV, Shoelaces for Christmas. Check it out. Tweet to us. Let us know what you think. Tweet to Austin. You know, he, he loves being able to hear, you know, what you've seen. Take a screenshot. Show him you're watching it. He'll love it. 
So make sure you send that over to him. Again, thank you to Caitlin Kunkel uh, for taking the time to sit down and chat with me. And, you know, make sure, again, if you're not one of the three people that wins a copy of New Erotica for Feminists, get out there and buy it. It's selling out all over the place. I bought the last copy here at the Grove uh, Barnes & Noble in Los Angeles, and the Grove was a huge store. And so, you know, make sure you get out and buy that. If you don't see it in your bookstore, tell them you want it. You know, a lot of bookstores, you know, they go, they go off the charts. They go off of what publishers are, you know, really pushing to them. But, you know, if it's not something that's on their radar, they don't know that people want it. So if it hasn't been in your bookstore yet or it's sold out, make sure you let them know uh, so that they can get more ordered and, and make sure that, you know, your friends and family that want to see this uh, and read it, you know, pick up a copy for them. It's the holiday season. You're looking for something for your friends. This is the perfect gift. New Erotica for Feminists. Again, we'll have the links for that on the website as well as for Amazon. So if you want to order on Amazon, we'll have a direct link. You can just go to onthemicpodcast.com, click buy book here, which will have on the link for this episode. And yeah, that simple. Just click on that link and it'll immediately direct you to Amazon and you can buy it. Unless you're one of those first three people. So make sure, again, tweet to me. First three people to tweet to me. The name of the grad school Caitlin went to uh, will win a free copy. Hope you guys enjoy this episode. Follow Caitlin on all the links on the website. We've got a couple of great episodes coming up next week. Uh, some great comedians that I'm very excited for you guys to hear. Uh, so make sure you guys stay tuned for that. Enjoy this episode with Caitlin Kunkel. We'll see you next week. Again, thank you for doing this. Uh, you guys have just been having a whirlwind of a press tour, it seems like. It's been a whole whirlwind year. Basically, we wrote the piece in February that the book is based off of, and we've been going nonstop since then. So <laughs> this whirlwind is like attached to like a bigger tornado that's been going on for several months. <laughs> it, it's been exciting to see because I, I know when you guys launched Belladonna Comedy, I was really excited about it because you know, everything I'd learned from you over the years, I was like, oh, I'm excited to see what she's going to do. And it's just continued to explode into a book. Thank you. Yeah, it's interesting because I don't think any of, when we started the website, obviously we started it uh, to create another outlet for female and non-binary writers to have a place to publish. And I don't think at any point we're like, oh, and then at some point we'll co-write a piece on feminist erotica and spin that into a book. <laughs> so it's been like a really cool way of just kind of like trusting that like if you keep doing the work that you want to do, like eventually outlets and other opportunities will kind of come at you. Yeah. So before we jump too much into the book, uh, I, w I wanted to talk to you a little bit about kind of your, your background. I mean, you and I got to know each other through second city as you were one of my teachers there. And, mm -hmm. and I've just, I've always been intrigued to know more about kind of how you started writing comedy and where it all began for you. Oh yeah. That's a good question. So, I, you know, I wrote growing up, like a lot of people, I think, who wanted to be writers in, like, this nebulous way, um, but I always wrote fiction, and even when I went to college, I went to Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, uh, which is mainly known for their doctors, but also there is a writing <laughs> program there, and I wrote fiction, short stories, um, nothing was really comedic, although by the end of my time there, I was kind of, like, trying to get a little innovative with the short story form, and my teachers didn't really like that, so I was like, okay, I guess I'm not really good at this. Um, and then I, when I applied to graduate schools, I ended up going to Northwestern to get a degree called um, Writing for the uh, Screen and Stage. So even there, I wrote, like, serious plays, serious screenplays. I sold a screenplay that was an adaptation of the European play Medea about someone who kills all her children. So <laughs> I literally was writing the most serious stuff you could write. Um, 
and almost like the second I finished that Northwestern, I went and saw a Second City review, and it's like the scales fell from my eyes, and I was like, oh, this was it the whole time I wanted to be writing satire, which to me is like a form of comedy that, like, still uses serious themes, obviously, and talks about serious things a lot of the time, but it's comedic. Right. So, I would say, so I, I first saw Second City review when I was 24, so at that point I'd probably been seriously writing for, like, six or seven years before I, like, realized I wanted to pivot, um, which, you know, some people could say was wasted time, but I think it's, like, good to write in different formats, and um, then I went through the year-long sketch program at Second City, which I think is, like, a really excellent program if you live in Chicago, so basically you write for eight months, and then the final four months of the year, you produce an entire show, and then it runs for a month. So, oh, wow you get like a really cool instructive experience of seeing the same jokes with different audiences, which I think a lot of times you don't get in classes. So you realize that something that kills with like an audience that's a lot younger might, if the night everyone's parents come, might bomb. Right. <laughs> so I think that was like a great way for me to see that. Um, and then I started to write like get more sketches around that time. I started to kind of dabble in online humor writing. And then um, my husband and I ended up moving to Portland, Oregon for his job at that point, I think this was in 2012, and that's because there was no, like, there was, like, a little sketch comedy scene, so I started teach classes and, like, do reviews there, but I started to work more on the internet, just kind of on necessity, and that's when I decided, like, completely arbitrarily that I wanted to get on McSweeney's and The New Yorker, so I, like, started to study that kind of, like, online humor and satire pretty intensely and write it a lot, and then um, I started to get good at it. And then in 2015, um, I had been teaching online classes for Second City um, because I had started teaching the sketch program. I lived in Chicago, and then I had, you know, written a couple classes, one called Online Story for TV and Film, um, and another one um, on podcasting. And I was like, you know what, like, it's really interesting to me that there's this form of comedy writing that has, like, a wide readership that's done totally online. And it seems to me, like, not only ideal to teach online, but it could be a way to, you know, work with people outside of, like, New York, L.A., Chicago. So I started to write a series of classes on online satire for Second City. Um, and I wrote those starting in 2015. I wrote Level 2 in 2016 and tw uh, Level 3 in 2017. And now it's, like, a whole online track that people can take and graduate from at Second City without ever going to Chicago, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it, it became my saving grace with those online classes since I started... <laughs> in Salt Lake City and was like, wait, I can do these online? And yeah, I mean, it, it quite literally changed my entire life. So I, I've been very grateful for that online program. Oh my God, I love hearing that. Honestly, like, if one of the women who I co-founded Belladonna with, like, I met her in Portland and she went through the online classes when she lived in Ohio and some of, like, my students have become some of my best friends and, you know, they live in Australia and London and all over the U.S. And it's just it's like... It's so cool to me that, like, you can meet these people, and I don't even video chat with anyone until level three, but by the time I get to level three, I know someone's voice so well from the classes that it's like talking to an old friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely unique, uh, a unique experience having it online, because there were people that, I, I know you, you helped me get my first uh, piece published from Second City. And that opened up all sorts of random friendships through Second City of people I'd never met, but then they would start following me on Twitter, or on Instagram or something. And then all of a sudden, as I moved out to LA or I was coming out here to record podcasts, all of a sudden these people were meeting up and it was creating this whole new network that I never expected to come from an online class. <laughs> it worked, Tim! That's 
some of the bigger publications and stuff that start noticing i mean that that was something that you know once i had my first piece on second city i remember i had reached out to you and said hey what are what are some of the other outlets and you had sent me a big list of them and i just started submitting 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 and i mean of, of course as any writer experiences there's the vast majority of rejections but it, w- it was still incredible to look back just a year ago on my personal website and where I have just a link to everything and just go, wow, I, I had this many articles published. I, I think it was like 24 that had been published uh, within, within just a short period of time, uh, primarily a lot on robot, but, but then some that I would, I would, you know, get out to, you know, funny or die, which unfortunately all of those are now taken down. But, yeah, <laughs> but I heard about that. <laughs> yeah. That took, that took me by great surprise when I, uh, when I went to publish, uh, something a couple weeks ago and uh went to send it through and all of a sudden everything was gone i was just like wait what just happened <laughs> did you happen to have like pdfs of that i hope no but they sent me a link to be able to pull things out of the archive so i'm trying to oh, go okay. through that because yeah there were there were some that i knew nobody else would publish because it didn't fit the voice of their site but i was just like eh, i'm just gonna put them up here anyway and and see what they do there and so they're, they're ones that yeah, they were some of my favorites that have <laughs> all just kind of fallen by the wayside now. That's great. And also, like, I feel like because you can write these pieces, like, so quickly kind of get them out there for validation from editors or from readers. Um, like, I've had some people come through the class who write novels and screenplays, and obviously that, those are different formats. They're much longer. So the idea that they can sit down in, like, two hours and, like, conceive of a piece and get it out there, and especially the topical, like, within a day, it's not a website responding it's like this huge huge rush um and i think for writers no matter what your medium is like it's always good to be kind of continually getting feedback from both gatekeepers and readers like you might have an idea where you're like oh this is so funny and no one likes it yeah <laughs> and you know there's something to be said for that um or you might have an idea go unexpectedly viral which is what happened to us like we were just goofing around and it was only when we saw like the reader reaction that we were like oh damn like 
this is bigger than what we thought. Um, so I think sometimes like we're not even always the best like judge of what in our own work is going to be very popular with others. Yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. Yeah, there's there's been plenty of of pieces that I've read online where I'm like, oh that. This was totally writer's brain that got this. Where people are like, "Why in the world did this piece get published?" And I'm like, "Cause it's genius," but it's one that like the general public doesn't get. <laughs> yeah, and like in the comedy world too, sometimes you're so granular and specific. Um, and we do publish pieces like that on the Belladonna sometimes, where we're like, you know what, this piece about center stage, the ballet movie, not going to have a wide audience, but I think the people who like it will really like it. Um, so it's cool to have a, a place to like try things out like that. Uh, but then definitely sometimes it's like very clear that like no one wants blank content. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when, when it comes down to satire writing, what, what do you feel the biggest thing is that most people, when they're trying to venture into it, that they struggle with? I would say for people um, who maybe have done like a more naturalistic, grounded kinds of writing, like fiction um, or journalism, they have a hard time heightening far enough out of reality. So they'll get stuck kind of in this in-between zone where the piece will read somewhat comedic, but it won't be so far out of reality that it's clearly satirical. So those pieces to me are like kind of dangerous because there's a chance that they could be misread. So a lot of level one of the satire classes is like me and now Brooke Preston who teaches in them, um, encouraging people to like take it further, like make it really clear that this has not really happened, but like by like writing this thing, you're commenting on something that has really happened. Um, so that's something that I see a lot. Like I have to encourage people to go farther. And then just having a clear point of view. Like I always tell people to phrase their point of view on a topic as I I feel or I believe. Because I think when people leave out kind of that core attachment to themselves, the piece can feel either flat or it will be like kind of diffuse. Um, so I'll be like, oh, what do you really think about like animal cruelty and makeup products? And they're like, oh, I haven't really ever thought about it. And it's like, well... <laughs> We need to, like, have a belief system associated with this. Um, so go back to the drawing board and, like, think about why you chose this as your topic and, like, what you're trying to say to it about it that the reader could take away by the end. So those are the two things, like, not going far enough out of reality and not having a clear enough point of view that's, like, attached to something that they feel or believe. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a fantastic, you know, starting point. That it, I, 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 I know that when, when I first started and I took that class from you, it's still, I, I would always copy and paste any notes that you gave me and just put it into a Word doc so that I always had it to look back on and be like, okay, where, where, where am I not going right here? And still to this day, when I come up with an idea, a lot of the times I'll actually reference back to those very things that you said. And I, if I remember right, you had started off with like 10 things that, that made us angry or that was absurd to us. And I still yeah. go back and I will always go through everything everything on there to really establish, okay, what is my point of view or am I just making a stupid remark on this? And and, and so I, I can fully attest to everything you just said <laughs> works. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of like what my goal is with teaching because um, I'm not like a natural writer at all. I'm very much not like an entrepreneur or someone who understands things right off the bat. But I will say when I understand something, I really deeply understand it. So I wanted to kind of show people like a thought process that works for me and other people that they could repeat themselves. Because I think a lot of writing feels so like magical. Like you have a good idea and you're like, oh my God, how do I have another one? So I wanted to try to write down like a process that people could repeat on different topics and like come up with like a serviceable premise 
um, a clear point of view. And then, obviously, as you get better, you experiment with different forms, different tones, different websites. But I think, like, without being clear about that process, like, it's very hard for a lot of people to create a sustainable writing habit. Yeah, absolutely. So, and wh- where where do you kind of go when you're when you're feeling like you're, you you know it's that time you need to sit down and write, you need to focus on you know a topic that you have in mind. What kind of gets you, you know, in the mood to write and that kind of gets your brain firing? Well, I always start off away from my computer. Like I actually won't even sit at my desk with my notebook. I sit like back on a couch, or sometimes if I'm really feeling relaxed, I'll get in bed <laughs> with my notebook. Um, but it's like it's very important to me in that first stage to like have looser associations, and that to me is like hand to paper. Um, like almost drawing or like doodling, creating word clouds. We call them clusters, obviously, in class. Because um, when I try to write directly at my computer, it just feels like I'm already editing too much and I'm kind of throwing out things that could maybe evolve into like better, more unusual ideas just because they're not as simple to see in my head. Um, so I definitely start away from the computer. And then if I feel like I don't, like it's hard for me to brainstorm, then I might come back to the computer and like do some research. Um, and then I keep a list next to my computer and I write down like any words that are evocative to me on the topic um so like obviously Paul Manafort's back in the news but like when he was first indicted and going through the trial like everyone's focusing on like his ostrich vest because <laughs> that was such an evocative image <laughs> um and his rugs too that he yeah. bought on Persian rugs so it's like details like that that if I'm feeling stuck and like I can't shape a piece I, I feel like I have to like go back and get some visual details almost to like help me imagine the I like that. That that's something I need to focus on, on doing more. Sometimes I'll just get that little nugget and I don't I don't expound on it more. So I, I like that a lot. Yeah, I do. Um, you know the Pomodoro method. Yeah. Yeah, I, we talk about it that too. Um, so it's, it's very simple, even though like people explain it like it's some like groundbreaking thing. It's just twenty five minutes on, five minutes off, and so I always try to do at least one Pomodoro, full Pomodoro of brainstorming. And it actually feels, like, torturous. It feels, like, way too long. Um, because I realize, like, when my natural tendency, when I time myself, is I'll do, like, four or five minutes and then get to perfect. But the pieces that I've spent, you know, the full 25 minutes on, or sometimes even do 50 minutes, um, those tend to, like, be such more fully formed ideas when I start writing. So, to me, that's something I have to still, like, be very vigilant on. Like, I think if you become a better writer, you're like, oh, like, like, make the process shorter and shorter and shorter, but you get to the point where it's diminishing returns. Like, it's going to take you at least two hours to write the piece, so if you don't benefit yourself, I'm trying to cut out some of the brainstorming. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I always just give that first mind vomit draft, even, and then walk away from it from 50, for 15, 20 minutes, and then go back. And, yeah, I, I ever since I started doing stuff on a timer, I felt like that greatly enhanced my writing. Yeah, but I think some people feel it's, like, not fun or creative, but uh, I think we get so distracted these days with our phones and the internet and everything that, like, when you really, like, put your brain onto a topic for 25 minutes, it's kind of shocking how much you can generate. Shocking in, like, a good way. I think it just shows you that there's so many different ways to, like, make connections around a topic, especially if you're writing topical. So, you know, something in the news that you know there's, like, 50 other comedy writers trying to hit at that moment and, like, send to McSweeney's. Um, if you take like that extra 20 minutes to be like, all right, well, what are the first 10 things that come to my mind? Um, so, you know, when um, Trump was talking to um, Kim Jong-un about, he called him Rocket Man earlier this year. Yeah. Um, 
first thing, obviously, everyone who is like some sort of Elton John joke. Right. So I feel like you have to like assume that that's like out of the question because it's the first thing that comes to your mind. It's the first thing that goes to everyone's mind. So I always try to do like a top of mind stuff where it's like, well, these are off limits because they're so easy. Um, another topic this year was like Lady Doritos. Do you remember that? Yeah, they were they couldn't crunch as loud or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So I actually didn't even write anything about Lady Doritos because I was so disgusted and I saw like so many cakes right away that I was like, Lady Doritos aren't worth my time. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like kind of. I think there's like a, a game to topical pieces where you obviously have to write fast, but I think you have to like you don't want to be like the first take out because right. that's usually the most basic one that's been on Twitter already. Yeah, it, it's it's so basic. It's been on Twitter a hundred times for Jimmy Fallon to do later on that night. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, so the the book New Erotica for Feminists, uh, Satirical Fantasies of Love, Lust, and Equal Pay. Uh, again, like I said at the beginning, you guys you guys have just been on a whirlwind of a tour. Uh, it's been selling incredibly. I bought the very last copy that they had at the Grove, uh, which I was ecstatic to see because that's such a oh, big Barnes and Noble. <laughs> and I walked in and I panicked at first. I was like, Oh my gosh, is there not one here? And then luckily it was the very last copy. I hope you told them to order more. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, but I'm I'm assuming they will because it went fast. Yeah, there's definitely some places that's selling really well. Powell's um, it's done well at a place called the Rip Bodice in LA, which is a romance store. So we've had like a lot of support from like actual romance and erotica writers, which is very cool because we never wanted to seem like we we're making fun of them, like or anything. Like I think it was just like great to see like how writers in those genres like immediately got what we were doing and right. they were in support of it. Yeah, I. I, I had taken a stab when I very first started writing satire of writing uh, an erotic one that was 19th century erotic fiction. And I, I still go back to it and laugh, but I'm just like, it's just so, it's so hacky, but it still, it still makes me laugh at the idea of erotic fiction satirized. And as I've, I've only made it halfway through the book because my wife commandeered it immediately and she read the entire thing and loved it. Uh, but I, I've just loved every single take that you guys have done, including even just the very simple cartoons throughout the book that I think anybody, even if they have to take a second to think about it, will just die laughing once they once they get it. Oh, thank you. That's so great to hear. And I'm so glad that you're reading it too. Like, obviously it's new erotica for feminists, but, you know, we've been explaining at our tour stops, like, men should be feminists. It literally, in its most basic definition, is just equality between genders. Um, and so I think a lot of people are like, oh, it's a book for women, but... I think anyone can really read it and be like, oh, I've never thought about that. Or that's funny that, yeah, Lolita is, like, there's so many things in Lolita, obviously, that are very disturbing. Um, or like, you know, yeah, in the Bible, why does Eve get sentenced to painful childbirth for the rest of the time? That's kind of weird. Yeah. Um, so it's fun to uh, look back at some of these things. And, you know, even the four of us, it was myself, Brooke Preston, Carrie Whitmer, and Fiona Taylor. You know, we're a valid feminist. We run a feminist website. Um, but even for us, like, looking back at, like, all of the stories you read growing up, we were like, oh, my God. Like, there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of, like, patriarchal things in here or sexist things or things where, like, the female characters are either hurt or put in danger to advance the male character's story or uh, character arc. So it's interesting to write, especially the literary and historical chapters, which I don't know if you've gotten to. They're more toward the end. Um and try to like refashion the female characters as the heroes of these stories. Right. No, I, and I, I I love that concept because yeah, you're absolutely right. There, every story, even every Disney movie, it's always how to advance the male character, 
and, and make them the hero. And so I, I, I love, you know, for one, that we're progressing as a society where you are seeing more female heroes, but that you guys are able to take those stories from our childhood and be able to satirize them so beautifully. Yeah, and just, like, look at them with fresh eyes. Like, we obviously wrote the book, like I said, in the Wolverine. Um, and there were some we just, like, couldn't work with in time. So my favorite book growing up was Jane Eyre, and I remember thinking it was, like, so romantic. Now as an adult, I'm like, wait, <laughs> that's not a super romantic story. It's almost like <laughs> But I just, like, didn't have time to, like, unpack, like, not only my childhood feelings, but this, like, long book, like, the responses that have already been written into, about it in feminist literature. So there were a lot that we hopefully would love to write into a sequel, but just like in our, our three-month writing timeline, we can't like unpack everything from right. literature. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm so excited again to see all the success that you guys are, ha- are having with this. And we are going to have three copies uh, of the book that we're going to be giving away. Um, and in the intro of this, I'll tell people exactly what they need to do to be able to win one of those three copies. So uh, thank you for doing that for us to, uh, to be able to give some of our listeners an opportunity to get a free copy of it. Yeah, I think uh, people will really enjoy it. And also it makes a great gift. Uh, even if you, we recommend giving it to people who you know will like it and also people who you think would be surprised by it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Everybody give it to their grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> your grandmother or your grandfather. Yeah. Let's see what... Alfred <laughs> it may open his eyes a little so <laughs> awesome well thank you so much again caitlin uh, for taking the time to, to do this and uh, for always being so supportive of everything that i've done so I, I, tr- I truly appreciate it more than more than you know thank you so much for saying that and it's just so great to like stay in touch with people and, and like keep following them and now i feel like i know like hundreds of incredibly cool smart funny artists which God, what a takeaway from like a job that I've had for you know I've been teaching I've been teaching since like 2006. So for 12 years now I know like all these people who just like continue to impress and amaze me, and you are definitely one of them. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> so, but but again, everybody can get out and buy it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, anywhere they sell books. Pretty much, there's copies of this, um, and they can follow you online as well as uh, as well as all of Belladonna comedy. Yeah, so I'm at. Kunkeltron, K-U-N-K-E-L-T-R-O-N on Twitter and Instagram, so my last name, but it, it was a robot. Uh, and then you can follow at the underscore Bellasanas, which is the website Twitter. We also have an Instagram for the book called at Do Erotica for Feminists, so you can follow that and like see some of the indie stories where it's at. Um, and we're also getting people to write some of their own feminist fantasies, we're going to be sharing those as we go on. Oh, awesome. So we'll make sure that we have links for all of that up on the website, too, so people can just click on the website and, and follow you guys on every one of those links. Awesome. Every single one. That's right. Every, every single one. one. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Caitlin. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to talk to you, Tim. You too. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.